This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. We're all connected, all day and in every way. Smartphones, laptops, tablets, and smartwatches, screens and cars, airports, gas stations, classrooms, offices, hospitals, and hotels, the constant barrage of a 24-hour news cycle. The list goes on. Our daily experience is to consume information at every turn, and we're really becoming victims of weapons of mass distraction. And it's becoming increasingly unclear how we're supposed to defend ourselves while our brains are under this constant and unrelenting assault. Our biggest challenge is to try to figure out how much of all that stuff that's coming in and bombarding us is relevant, what's useful for us, and what is simply a complete waste of time and energy. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with an expert on noise. I mean, the kind of noise that is this constant distraction. And he's got some great strategies and direction and plans, essentially, that can help us come up with ways to strengthen our own focus and reduce interference. And not only that, practical skills that can help us improve how other people around us can pay better attention. I'm Armin Brott. We'll start talking about overcoming those weapons of mass distraction when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. If you love them enough to listen to them practice the same song on tuba, please be done. Over and over and over and over and over. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Sounds good, honey. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Joseph McCormack, who's the author of Noise, Living and Leading When Nobody Can Focus. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Why don't you start off with defining what you mean by noise? I consider noise all of the digital distractions and interruptions and information overload and all the, the things that consume most of our day and most of it ends up being useless. And, and I, I, I consider it noise because we have to find ways to filter this out so that we can, we can find ways to focus on the more important things in life. And by digital distractions, obviously phones, everybody knows about how phones are, are causing all sorts of problems and distracting us from things. But I, I was surprised that you mentioned things like uh, overloading with news uh, that people get completely obsessed with. And uh, I mean, it's been one of my things I've been on this rant for a while is if you turn on one of the news shows, regardless of the channel, 
They're just going on and on and on and on and not really saying anything. They're not saying anything. And if you look at, if you look at a, a 24-hour news cycle, if you look at the amount of sources of information, what ends up happening is they, 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 um, they treat information and words and make them worthless. So you, it's ta- people are talking to talk, talking to hear their own voice. People spend hours upon hours watching what ends up being could have been said in five minutes, and it's it's useless. And it takes it. One of the bigger ideas here is that it takes the brain the same amount of energy to focus on something which is useless than it is something that's useful. So if you look at like a flashlight, it'd be like using your flashlight during the daytime only to find it at night when you needed it, it's depleted. And that's how people's lives have become. So I don't, I'm not against technology, but what's happened over the last decade, we've just, the smartphone has become the source in your pocket of all information, and it's a constant source of information. And people incrementally have gotten used to it. It's like, I, 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 my analogy is it's like a house guest. It's like inviting somebody to your house, and they just stay. And they, don't, they never leave. And now they're running your life. Right. So no, that's a good the, analogy. the point here is like this this just happened, it's happening, and people need to be aware that I'm spending an enormous amount of my energy focusing on stuff that doesn't really at the end of the day matter. So are there measurable results or fallout from this kind of thing? I mean I can say, All right, so we, we, we get too much information and we should probably rest a little bit, but you know, really and truly is this hurting anybody? Yeah, I mean if you, if you equate consuming information like consuming food, um, the analogy might be you're consuming information that most of it's really not that relevant for you. It's not that important for you. It would be equivalent to like having a diet of eating popcorn and Diet Coke. You feel full, <laughs> but it actually has no nutritional value or very little. And the same thing is with information. You're feeding your mind. You're, you're spending a lot of energy you know, consuming, like swiping on phones and looking. And what it does is it tricks the brain into thinking that the next swipe or the next click or, or looking at an app or a notification is going to be like winning the lottery or, or playing blackjack. And the brain is hoping for the, pay, the big payout, and the big payout doesn't come. And, but it's addictive. And we spend all of our day doing this. So if you, we did some research, and it's really, it's really interesting and troubling at the same time that 70% of the people in a survey that we did, the first thing they do every day and the last thing they do every day is check their phone. It's the first and last thought of their day. In fact, many people are bringing the phone to bed, which is a little creepy. So clearly there's not a lot of managing this thing right now. It's, getting a lot of, it's, it's, not, it's being mismanaged, and, and, it, and a lot of the information, I call it noise, is, ends up being like you're listening to noise, and it makes your brain, um, you know, it, it wastes energy, basically. You know, I want to get back to something that you said a little bit earlier about how you're spending time focusing on things that aren't relevant to you. And I wonder from a devil's advocate point of view about whether in some ways that might be a good idea because you're pushing yourself. I think one of the the problems I think that people talk about the media coverage around the 2016 election and people not being able to tell the difference between fake news and real news and but I think it's it's good for people to be challenged by something that they haven't thought of before. But I guess maybe that's maybe that's a, attributing too much substance. I mean, obviously, to be open-minded, open to different points of view, is is a different matter altogether. What I'm talking about is it, our habits, habits to just mindlessly. 
consume information. Um, do we really need to know what the barometric pressure is in the Philippines right now? Um, if you look at the types of information, Snapchat and a lot of social media sources is one source. Is it, you know, it's people spend, like if you go through like, like news feeds or Facebook feeds, and you think at the end, if you assess, how much of that information is actually relevant to me? Email. We did, you know, research, like research indicates that, you know, p- people delete half their emails within like three seconds. So you're, oh, absolutely. But your brain has to still stand up and focus on that only to find out it's useless. So, yeah, I'm not talking about being narrow-minded or, or, or shutting everything off. I'm, I'm talking about being selective. Okay. All right. So are there, are there things that have been measured about showing that people who have experience with this kind of noise are less open-minded or they make poor decisions in their life? Uh, I'm just trying to figure out whether there's some uh, a medical connection possibly here with this sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, it's, it's, addic- it's addictive. So a lot of these apps are, become, become addictive. So you lose control over, um, it becomes a little Pavlovian. So think of a notification and alert on your phone. When they come, are we really making a conscious dis- decision to open it, or do we feel compelled to open it? So there's a loss of willpower. That's one moment where it's Pavlovian. It's just very, it's, it's, it's instinctive. The phone makes a noise, I answer it. I'm not even choosing to do that. It's just, it's, it's telling me to do it. I'm not telling, I'm not choosing to do it or to not do it. I'm, it's telling me to do it. And you got to do it right now. You got to stop what you're doing, but it doesn't care what you are doing. So you, 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 you have a divided mind and a divided mind can't sustain its focus. So you lose attention. Your attention span becomes depleted. So it's harder to have conversations with people. It's harder to read books. Um, uh, somebody was telling me when, when noise came out that they sat down to read the book and they found it very difficult to read because the phone was right there. There's well, implications to that up and down, education. Um, the way books are being designed are fundamentally different than they were 10 years ago. Um, it's, we're, a, we're a mile wide and an inch deep, you know. So that, there are serious implications in terms of learning, how to have conversations, knowing what to focus on, when to say no and when not to, self-control. There, there are many, many facets of this that are, that, yeah. are, that are important for people to look at. I just had an image of you know, sometimes you go into a bakery or something or you go into Starbucks and you can smell the coffee or the, the buns or whatever. And then after a few minutes, you don't even notice it anymore because you've just gotten so completely used to it. And I wonder whether one of the fallouts from, from all this noise is that if we are at some point presented with something that actually is relevant or important, that we're just not going to pay attention to it. That's exactly right. When you train yourself to listen to everything, then you, you, you miss the most important thing. I do a lot of work with the military, specifically the special operations community. So I was working with these guys, and we were talking about the book and at one of the breaks. And in, in one of the courses, I teach a course on unconcise communication and clear communication. And, and this guy was telling me, 10, he's like, 10 years ago, my father, let's say this guy was 20, mid-25, 28. 10 years ago, he was 15, 18 years old, however old he was. And he's like, my dad was giving me a hard time about how much time I spent on my phone. He says, fast forward 10 years, my dad, he's, he's saying this to me, my dad spends more time in his phone than I do. He says, we don't talk to each other as much anymore. We spend all of our time because everything's important and everything's urgent, 
and we're missing these important things, which is one of the big ones is each other. Yeah. And then another guy chimes in, and he was listening to the conversation. He said, I drove, he drove from, you know, North Carolina up to New York City to see a bunch of college uh, roommates. They had like a, a weekend reunion. He said, nobody talked to each other. Hmm. He says, I drove six hours, and I was so angry. If I had known that that was going to be, I would have stayed home. So you're serious. Yeah, there's, you're absolutely right. You, it becomes a new normal. You don't even notice it. You, and and I, I always tell people, like, look at an airport. Look at a typical family in a car at a stoplight. It sort of happened, and nobody knew that they just gave up their willpower. Talking with Joseph McCormack, who's the author of Noise, Living and Leading When Nobody Can Focus. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking to Joe about noise and what to do about it, and specifically some some things about how this uh, applies to us as parents and what we can do to help our kids and ourselves. I'm Armin Brat. You're listening to Positive Parenting. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke anime Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed at this time. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, I'm Armin Broughton, talking with Joseph McCormack, the author of Noise, Living and Leading When Nobody Can Focus. So I want to get to to some of the, the prescriptive stuff that you have in the book about what we can do to overcome this. And I think I'm hesitant to, to phrase it like that because I think given the, the power of technology, it's like trying to swim upstream in a very powerful waterfall. But what, what can we do in our own lives a little bit at a time to reduce the amount of noise that we have? I, I, when I look at this issue, I am really, I have a very positive, practical outlook. This is completely manageable. The first thing that people need to know is it's an issue. They need to be aware of how much they, time and energy they spend paying attention to stuff and consuming information, which isn't that important. 
So that's the first thing is just be aware that this is something in my life that I need to manage. It doesn't manage me. I manage it. That alone changes people. Like technology and information works for me. I don't work for it. That's the first thing. I think the other thing that's, that is really just very practical, simple, is giving yourself quiet time during the day and, and schedule it. The brain needs a rest. The brain needs a rest. So I have something called the 7 to 7 rule. So I typically don't check any technology or information until 7 o'clock in the morning. I wake up at 5.30. I have quiet time before I start that. I don't put my phone on my nightstand. It's in another side of the house, another side of the room. So I manage that. So I, I intentionally start looking at that information at a set time during the day. And after 7 p.m. in the evening, I generally don't check it. I'll keep it on in case there's somebody who calls me, but I'm not constantly checking it to look for the next big thing. That, so I set some boundaries. It's like a store. Stores open at 9, they close at 6. The same thing, we set store hours, right? 7 to 7 is, is, a, is, a, is a rule. You can set whatever rules you want, but that starts to set some conditions every day. That's, that's, and using that time for quiet to, to, to plan, to read, um, to have conversations with people possibly, to rest are important things because our brain is really working hard during the day consuming information, so we've got to give it a chance to. Those are, those are a few basic things saying no to technology, setting some rules that anybody can do. It's, it's, I, I, I joke, like, we don't need an app to manage this. Well, although there are apps, I would imagine, that do this. They probably, they're, I mean, there are apps that will shut your phone down. I think it's hilarious that there's, like, I need an app to not use my phone. I mean, I, and I, it's good that you're measuring the amount of time. There's apps that tell you your usage up or down. I think those are general. As a principle, are up and down. But I think a person should, if they're aware, they should know. Think of, like, parents with kids. It's like, I, we don't eat all day long. I mean, I think good parenting is we have breakfast when we have breakfast, we have lunch when we have lunch, we have dinner when we have dinner. I think that's just general parenting, good parenting, right? We don't eat all day long. We want to be healthy. Same thing with technology. We don't, we're not on our phones all day long. That's not how we spend our time. We use it when we need to use it. It's a tool, and we don't, we don't use it all the time. And right now, people don't abide by that. And I think the, what, for parents, the first thing is stop blaming your kids. Lead by example. Put, put your phone away at dinner. Sit down and ask your kids, like, how was school today? And really care about what their answer is. Because the phone could be like a digital babysitter. It does, it's not parenting for you. So I think parents need to lead by example. They, they complain about it, but then they're, they're as, as guilty or more guilty than their kids. Do you think that there needs to be some explanation on this kind of thing? Because I think just saying, okay, we're, we're going to have time out or time, you know, time down from the phones. We're just not going to have it on. You know, everybody's going to put their phone underneath the seat of the car when we go into this restaurant, so we're not going to be playing. Or do you, do you explain a little bit about the overload and how bad it is for you? Yeah, I, I think that you do. I think this is an issue that affects everybody. It was interesting when I was writing the book as a parent is I see it changing my kids. And I'm, I want to be a good parent, and I'm not always a good parent. So I have to have a conversation with my kids about this, not in a moment of anger and rage, but talking about the, this was not a reality a decade ago or 20 years ago. It is now. So I think, yeah, I think having, and the, and the book Noise is, is an opportunity for, kids could read the book too. It's, got, it's written for, for, for kids and for parents, everybody. So I, 
it, it gives you a point of starting a conversation, which is an important, which is where do I put my focus and where do I pay? What do I pay attention to and where do I put? I pay attention to people. We sit down at dinner. We talk to each other. When we're in the car, if you need to check your phone, check it, but put it away so we can talk to each other. I mean, time in the car is a great time with kids. Talk to your kids about what's going on at school when you're driving to sporting events. When you look at what's happening in cars, I, I feel like, for me too, I've lost a little control. All the kids are on the phones, and they always have an excuse about why they're doing it. There's a time and a place for it, so just start that conversation, I think. And how do you deal with the biggest thing of all, probably, for kids is the, the fear of missing out? That, oh, all my friends are on it, and I'm going to miss out on the updates, or they're trying to get a hold of me to schedule something, or whatever it is, that becomes something I think a lot of people just give in to. You have to look at the risk, and the, the risk is uh, there's a risk and there's a potential reward when you check your like, – one of the biggest risks is it really leads to anxiety. So people are they're really – I think parents can talk to their kids in the context of like, hey, the same thing happens to me at work. I'm always afraid that I might, there's an email or I'm, I'm worried about things that I should stop worrying about because at the end of the day, nothing bad's going to happen. Like, I'm not – if you look at the reality, you're, if you check what you've checked, you're not missing, like, all these massive things. They tend to be not that important. And I think setting boundaries are like, all right, let's – yeah, you can check it. I'm not saying don't check it, but all the time. I mean, nobody has critical information all the time. I mean, unless you're, like, an EMT or a, a brain surgeon, you're probably not at critical moments – 24-7. You know, so I think that fear of missing out is an issue that affects everybody. You just got to talk about it. Well, what about flipping things around? Because you've talked about it so far in terms of taking breaks from technology. But what if you you said we're going to have, generally speaking, a non-technology life and we will have breaks where we can use the technology? I, I, I think you could do that. I think each family is a bit different in terms of how they want to approach it. But there should be a strategy of how we want to be as a family. Some people create family mission statements and how we're going to be as a family. I'm, I'm personally not proposing, um, you know, we're going to live in the mountains and, you know, and, and not have electricity anymore. And, I mean, it's a good thing. It's, but something that needs to be managed, right? It's a, it's, and I still think we're in the early days of, like, the early days of radio. This is like the early days of, you know, pervasive connectivity, you know, that we can have access to all sources of information in my pocket. It's a pretty powerful thing. So the, the, my point of view is find ways to manage it so it doesn't manage you, but don't, you can't throw it out the window because it's very difficult to do that nowadays. There, a friend of mine did something very funny. I don't know exactly how he did this, but I, I'd like to figure it out. He, he programmed his Alexa, right, his, his um, like wireless speaker, mm-hmm. to when he sees his kids are just going beyond, he says out loud, Alexa, enact the Amish protocol. <laughs> In, I don't know what he did, but the Amish protocol, when Alexa hears it, shuts the wireless down on the entire wireless of the house. Just shuts it off. <laughs> That's so very funny. The kid, it just goes dark. <laughs> so that was his strategy. I think I should, that might be a, a plan. Or just, you know, when you get in your house, maybe have a bin where, like, we put our phones in the bin. Like, you check your, in the, in the Wild West, we, you know, check your, your gun at the door. We, we, my, my, there's a story in the book Noise. My daughter um, had a birthday party, and her younger sister just got a big Tupperware bin and said to the girls, nobody told her to do this. Hey, put your phones here. 
have fun at the party, and you get them when you come back. And they all did it, and they had a blast. Had they not done that, would they have as much fun? Probably not. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are starting to discover this, especially like people in their 20s. Like, this is really robbing me of a lot of peace. Like, I'm spending an inordinate amount of time doing this, and it's really not giving me a good return on my time. You know, the, the, the absolute amount of time they spend with technology is, I think a lot of people are realizing, like, eh, you know what, i got to stop doing this. This isn't, this is, I mean, my, I, I, have, I have countless stories of people that have told me, like, when I start bringing it down, start managing it, my life becomes better. Joseph McCormack's the author of Noise, Living and Leading When Nobody Can Focus. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. It's really thought-provoking stuff. Thanks for having me. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. To protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen. By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, my husband and I just divorced, as amicably as possible. We've heard a lot about how children in divorced families act out, get bad grades in school, take drugs, have all sorts of mental health problems, and on and on. Frankly, both of us are worried that our children are never going to recover. Despite the divorce, we both want to be great parents and to give our kids the best in life. Is there some way to make that happen? This is one of the most common questions I get from divorcing and divorced parents, and I wish there was some way to get the media to quit portraying children in divorced families as self-destructive failure bombs waiting to explode. The reality is that kids whose parents have split, whether by divorce or the breakup of a never-married couple, can do just as well as any other kids. There are definitely some obstacles, but they can be overcome. Here are a few ideas that will definitely help. Don't believe everything you hear, except this, of course. Some studies do show that kids from divorced homes have many of the problems you mention. But in most cases, the problems are less the result of the divorce itself than of the quality of the parenting those kids are getting. I'm sure you've seen or heard of kids who have every conceivable advantage in life but never live up to their potential or end up in jail. Keep your relationship with your ex civil. According to a number of excellent studies, the number one predictor of how well children will do after their parents get divorced is the quality of the relationship between the parents. If you and your ex can get along, not fight in front of your children, treat each other with respect, recognize how important you both are in your children's lives, and support each other in parenting, all of which it seems like you're doing or planning to do, your kids have a great shot. Love the kids, 
and reassure them often. Children, especially young ones, are concerned with only one idea. How will whatever's going on right now affect me? If you or their father moved out, they might be worried that the other will move out too and leave them alone. If they saw you and their dad fighting, they may worry that you'll divorce them if they ever disagree with you. Your kids need to know that you love them no matter what, and that divorcing their father has nothing to do with your relationship with them. Children also frequently believe they caused the divorce, especially if you and your ex argued about anything to do with parenting. They need to know that the decision to divorce was made 100% by the adults and that the children had absolutely nothing to do with it. Stop trying to be amazing or awesome or perfect or fantastic or even great. Shoot for good enough. You're mortal. You'll make mistakes. You'll have personal issues, and that's okay. Ask for help and accept it. It doesn't have to take a whole village. Sometimes all you need is a good support network. Having a friend or relative pick up the kids after school if you're hung up at a meeting or carpooling with another family can take the pressure off you and show the kids that there are other adults who care for them. Keep it real. Spending time with you isn't a vacation. You don't need to buy your kids love. That means homework gets done every day before they play. Boundaries get respected, rules get followed, and life stays as close to the way it was before the divorce as it possibly can. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.